podcast go hello everybody i'm root scarn uh with me is josh and chris now chris you mentioned two topics you might want to talk about today on this podcast one of them i'm actually really excited to hear about so we're gonna we're gonna start with the other one uh, apparently you've been playing prey moon crash yes i have and i've been i, I love <laughs> i i yes i have <laughs> i mean hey you know i prey moon crash it was announced at e3 i think was that I, announced very badly it i don't think they yeah. sold what it was I, quite right yes i don't know what it is what is it i'm i'm very confused because it sounds like it's something that i thought it wasn't and we it, should be more excited clearly it sold itself on on the trailer with uh just the number of permutations of it and it looked kind of like a challenge room that regenerated itself every time like you're going through the same corridors and just sometimes it's on fire and sometimes there's some kind of monsters and sometimes there's other monsters and it's basically like we procedurally generate levels for you to go shoot things and pray in and that's kind of what they sold it yeah. as with like 18 jillion million configurations which is always the, a crap number because the impression that i got was it was going to be some sort of like speed running dlc basically where you had to like keep trying to get to some goal or do whatever the hell the the point of the level is and uh every like like it and re resets after a certain period of time and you have to and you go back to the start and it regenerates and generates new stuff it was like the impression that i got watching that e3 presentation and i was like that's weird that sounds it, like a weird premise it kind of is that but it's it's not that um so basically, I don't want to give too much of the plot away, and there there is a, a bit of a plot to this thing. It's it's kind of a standalone expansion to the plot of Prey, um, and basically the idea is you are a guy on a space station orbiting the moon, and your job is to um, you basically get a shipment of uh, the the looking glass scans in of people's minds, of people's memories, and and it basically was the last things that happened on this moon when the Typhon took over and killed everybody on the moon, and your job is to piece together what happened because you are now working for a rival company that is the opposite company from the the main game. I think you're working for Kazma and the company uh I cannot remember the name of the company in the first game in Prey. Um anyway, you're you're working for the enemy company. So you're basically trying to reconstruct what the other company did on the moon so that you can figure out what they did and what research they were doing for, you know, government purposes or for your evil Kazma organization purposes. Um and to do that, to recreate what research was going on and what they were doing, you basically strap on one of those uh, looking glass visors and hop into the memories of one of five people and basically try to uh, follow their adventure as they escape. But what makes it interesting is it's not trying to recreate actual history. It's trying to pick up on the memories of things and it's all jumbled together. So it's kind of... Hmm. Um, how do I put this? Basically, the game opens with you playing as... You only have one character open, and the goal of that character is escape, and the first thing you do is get an escape pod. So the first time you load the game, it's basically follow this path, kill some prey monsters, and get to the escape pod. Done. Really, really straightforward. Um, and then that unlocks a second character. And now you can play two characters and try to get them both to escape. And you play them one at a time, and you like play through the game as character X, and either they live or die, either they escape or they, they get killed. And then you can play through again as the next character, and either they escape or get killed via a different method. And what makes it interesting is, each time you go through the game, each time you go through the world, um, any resources you take, any monsters you kill, are are permanently like that. 
Um, so like you can have your Marine guy, your, your super huge dude, strong space shooter guy come in and just clear a room full of all the monsters so that your weak psychic guy can come in there unmolested. Or you could like recognize that you already have a, um, a bunch of a certain resource and leave some behind for your, for your next playthrough to come and pick up. And so it becomes this really strategic game of, um, trying your best to leave enough resources for the next pe for your next run while also trying to make sure that you survive and get to the end. Um, and then each time you succeed, you get a bunch of E points, money, whatever that you can spend on your next go through so that you can load yourself up and get, uh, tilt the odds in your favor. Um, and it's actually really, really, really interesting. interesting. It's, it's an attempt basically to turn an M, uh, uh, not an MMO, a, um, a big budget blockbuster game into a roguelike. And the game has things like, um, weapon, um, uh, rarities based on, you know, your, your usual, uh, white, orange, green, blue, and, uh, purple. And the difference is that the, the more unique they are, the more damage they do and the more modifications they've had made to them just as in the main game. So it's basically like you're, you, they took the modification system from the main game and turned it into a rarity system. Lots of interesting choices like that. And the other really interesting choice is that each character feels completely unique. So in the main game, you have basically by the end, depending on your playthrough, you can more or less, you can't be able to do everything, but you can become pretty darn powerful, both in terms of guns, uh, Typhon powers, and generic human powers. Um, here, you only have one character that can hack things. And that becomes a problem because certain exits require you to hack a computer um, before you can use them, but you might not want that character to use that exit for story reasons. There's basically a check. So I'm, I'm, I'm rambling. Do you guys have any questions before I continue? No, no, no. I think no, you're no, explaining I, it pretty please, well. Yeah, please, please continue. Because cause the thing is, it's like we, like you sort of said, like we sort of said, this game was just kind of plopped out there in the middle of the gargantuan Bethesda conference. And I feel yeah. like even a lot of people who own Prey just kind of were like, okay, sure. What, 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 what was, what's this about a new mobile Elder Scrolls game? So the <laughs> point... <laughs> The, 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 the overall goal, again, is that you're this hacker dude who's trying to collect what really happened. And to do that, you have a checklist of things you have to accomplish. So it's save each of the five people, and then each of the five people also has their own story missions. So, you know, it's um, you, you go and find their memory point, and that memory point kicks off a whole quest chain. And those quest chains are usually long enough that you probably don't have time to save anyone else, but they give lots of bo uh, bonus money for completing them. And it's also a thing you have to do to move on to the rest of the game. Um and then there's other things like um, installing a certain number of nanomods, completing a certain number of things. And uh, it's it's really, really good. I really, really enjoyed it. The one hitch, I think, that will turn people off of it is the fact that in order to simulate a roguelike, um, what roguelikes traditionally do is send you down a series of labyrinths or a series of maze tunnels or um, spelunky levels or whatever. Basically, in a, in a tra traditional roguelike, your incentive to explore and collect resources is motivated by the fact that you're going to have to continue going down and down and down into deeper and deeper levels where darker and more hip, uh, evil monsters wait. The thing gets harder and harder and harder. But in Mooncrash, um, you don't, it's, it's a set space. It's, it's not a procedurally generated space. It is just this one moon base. So in order to make it harder and harder and harder, what they introduced was this concept of corruption. Basically, as you run through their memories, slowly this, uh, the, the, uh, simulation drifts from reality and things get more and more difficult. Uh, that might, that includes, um, and so basically what ends up happening is you have 
five phases of corruption, and each time you cross over into a phase of corruption, all the monsters respawn, and they respawn as different types, and they often respawn more powerfully. So when the game first starts, and, you, and this also becomes a strategic choice, because now it's like, well, do I want my space marine to go through first, kill all the weak guys, but then my, my weaker characters now have to go through with the bigger monsters, or do I want to send my weak guys first and face the monsters um, uh, by themselves, but they're facing weaker monsters? It's an interesting strategic choice. Um, but basically, you, you do have the ability to fight it. There are found objects in the game that are little chrono units to basically reset corruption. And you can also buy them up front when you find the schematic for them. So it's possible to basically spend money to buy yourself more time in a specific zone. But rarer loot drops at higher difficulties. But the end result of this is that basically there is a timer to get everybody out. So it's not like you're just walking around doing whatever. Um, you, you, have a, you have a time limit. And if you wait until the very highest level of corruption... Everybody dies and you lose. Um, so that's that's a thing that if you really don't like timers in games, it's it's enough to keep things tense, but not so uh, so bad that it's it's oppressive. But I know people who don't like timers will probably be annoyed by it. Um, yeah, I don't. Um, like one other thing um, before we move on is the 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 one thing I want to convey to people, if nothing else, about this game that I the reason I brought it up is that it's even more System Shock two e to me than Prey was, and I kind of adore it for that. Um, the fact that there is no quick save, the fact that it's a, a roguelike where if you die, you die, and the fact that you're always fighting the clock gives it a certain level of tension. Um, the fact that there's weapon degradation um, is really cool and gives it a sense of tension. Um, so you can't do, like, you, you can, so, uh, if, as you play, you eventually unlock a pack mule that you can use to basically dump all your crap and then give it to your next character when you come back through. Um, but the weapon degradation prevents you from finding an ultra level 10 million gun and just constantly handing it from guy to guy to guy. Now you can't do that, uh, because eventually that weapon will break. Um, what else was there? Oh, and I just, I love, I, it is not great at procedural generation. Like, it's not like there's, they tried to push the 15 million trillion different ways to beat the game thing that really isn't that interesting what's interesting is how it screws you up and how you are constantly having to innovate on your feet basically there are a number of environmental and other hazards that can screw you over and you have to really be able to uh, improvise and i i kind of love it and that's the other reason it reminds me of system shock is that unlike prey the main prey game where you kind of become a god and can do pretty much anything here not only are you limited by character selection but by these insurmountable bad uh uh environmental hazards for example there's a tram that runs the outside of so i don't know how much in detail i want to get into this but basically in the in moon crash there's a central hub and then three sub layers outside of that that are all connected to the main hub but the sub layers themselves are connected to each other via trams but the trams at certain levels of corruption or even at the beginning of the game might be down you can power them on by finding certain uh, uh control nodes but you don't necessarily know without checking the central computer whether they're going to be down. Um, also, power. Power can go out, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you realize all the grav, uh, grav shafts in uh, Prey are powered by power. And if the power is out in a specific area, that means that certain grav shafts are going to be out, which might make areas more or less inaccessible. It does a lot of really interesting things to make you think about, oh, do I want to go, do I want to go back to the central area, cut power off from the, the crew quarters, give power to the moon uh, research lab so that I can get up to the area I need to complete my mission, or do I want to maybe risk going through the uh, the psychic labs, take the tram over, and assume the tram is going to work? You have to like really think on your feet, and I I kind of adore it for that. I really really enjoyed it. I can't say say enough good things about. it. That's great. Yeah, that sounds neat. I I was I mean I'm interested in checking it out now. I guess uh, in a way that like I wasn't really interested after the Bethesda conference, so I just never really looked at it. 
Yep. It's safe to say, Chris, that you have described a video game in a way that would make me want to try it. Let's go for a twofer. Chris, somehow you told us you have ended up playing Fortnite. Is that correct? Yes, I have fallen into the sticky clutches of the game for kids. Can we expect an errant signal on Fortnite? I doubt I have that much to say. I, I have exactly one podcast section's worth of stuff to say, I think. What a coincidence. Um, so yeah, I, I basically picked the game up as a, for, for the stars aligned basically for two reasons. One, uh, over E3, the, the Switch client came out and it, it's a free game on my Switch that everyone's playing and it's okay. Yay, I can play this in bed. And it's two, not, it's not uh, like Switch games are that thick on the ground. I, I I mean I play a lot of Switch games. I mean Mario Tennis just came out too. Although I, I'm I'm really bad at Mario Tennis, so I wanted to play a game I might not suck as much at. Actually, <laughs> oh boy, um, I've touched my Switch in like three or four months. Actually, so it's like, it's like my I, main. Console. I like the Switch, and I'd like to get games on it, but it's always like most of the games that are out on the Switch that are not like you know the big box Nintendo titles are indie games that are like 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 50% cheaper on Steam and it's like well okay I could get this on the Switch and that'd be neat or I could pay half as right. much on a Steam sale cuz Nintendo never drops prices on anything yeah but i mean my, my thing is i play it in bed right like i i i this is like i i'm probably the weirdest human being on earth but basically i put it on a rift tracks or mst pop in some headphones and then play my switch for like an hour and a half to cool off and then fall asleep um, and so it's, it's perfect for that. So I play the heck out of my switch. I haven't really played like my PS4 since burnout paradise came back out or God of war. No, I played a little bit of God of war. Um, I, still yeah, I also haven't played PS4 games in a while. Um, I, I even set it up so I could, uh, remote play on my laptop, uh, while I was on vacation and the PS4 remote play actually works pretty well. And I was thinking like, Oh, you know, it'd be cool to, I don't know, get get God of War and start playing through that or play like Bloodborne again or something. And I just never did it. Um, I, I actually instead played a bunch of XCOM on my iPad. God. Um, anyway, <laughs> so... I like XCOM, but that's slightly sad. <laughs> Um, so yeah, all the, all the stars aligned and the other, the other stars that aligned aside from having the switch client come out was that, um, the, the PUBG battle pack was in the news about how everyone's kind of pissed at player on those oh, battlegrounds yeah. and the, the battle it's pack sucks. It's bad. It's, and, and it's really bad. Everyone kept saying how bad it was compared to Fortnite's, and, and I was like, well, I like checking off checkboxes and completing tasks, and, and have, like that's basically what Burnout Paradise is, is it's a, it's a big thing of checking off things to do and unlocking crap, and I like that kind of gameplay mechanic, it's like a fun time waster, and it was like 20 bucks to pick up the battle pack or whatever, and I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's see what this is like. And then it turns out that not only can you... Um, if, at least if you haven't logged on the logged in to Fortnite on the PS4, not only can I play it on the PC, but I can make progress on that battle pack on the Switch. So I can make progress on both platforms for the same account, which is freaking awesome. Um, and I, I love that. I, I can't tell you how often it is on the PS4 that even just going from downstairs to upstairs, not having the ability to move my save is brutal. Yeah. Just just not being able to play the on two different consoles the same thing. Sony is like has has always been um a real stick in the mud with that. Like I uh 
Um, I played a bunch of War Thunder. Uh, I, I haven't played much of it, like, in the last year, but, like, you know, a couple years ago, I was really into War Thunder, and it came out on the PS4, and I was like, oh, cool, I can play it on the PS4. But you can't link your accounts. You can't have your PS4 account, uh, you know, with the, the all the stuff that you unlocked on your PC account. And also, like, War Thunder's progression is glacial. So I'd, I had this account that I'd had, like, two years of, like, progression on um, on the PC. And then on the PS4, it's like, oh, okay, I, I'm back at square one. I don't actually want to play this. <laughs> It's particularly frustrating in Fortnite's case because a lot of people didn't realize when they hooked up their account to the... Because you can do, I believe, PC and uh, PS4, you can hook your account up between those two. But if you've hooked your account up to the PS4, you can't hook your account up to the Switch. And it's not Nintendo's fault. It's yeah. it's Sony. They won't let you do that. Um, so you, get to, you have to pick. And if you've already picked PS4, you can't migrate. Um, which is just awful. Um, anyway, I, I, I have been playing it. I've been enjoying it. My mostly, I guess, um, my, my real takeaway is how, I mean, I could, I could go into a long, long rant about Fortnite and, uh, it's, it's weird clusterfuck of gameplay systems in the main game and how it totally just stole another person's game and then became the biggest game in the world by abandoning everything they spent five years building. And that's a whole other conversation, yep. but, but <laughs> focusing purely on, on the, on the merits of its battle royale mechanics, um, I find it interesting how it how it solves a lot of the PUBG problems of waiting around and farting around and, and, and just you spend a lot of time in player unknowns, battlegrounds waiting for the next chunk of gameplay to start. Um, basically the, the, the degenerate strategy is to find a corner of a relatively quiet room, go fully prone with a shotgun and wait quietly and hope that no one comes in. That is oh boy, most yeah. of PUBG. Um, Fortnite actively well, tries to, or get up on a hill with a sniper rifle but yeah yes but but even then you're yeah, waiting but... you're waiting for targets to show up yeah well the problem with fortnite uh, okay i say the problem with fortnite the, the feature of fortnite that intimidates me the most is that every video i've seen of someone successfully playing fortnite seems like something that i am physiologically incapable of reproducing no the building is the building is terrible uh the building remains my least favorite intro my least the least good weird holdover from when it was a completely different game. And I know it's everyone's favorite aspect, but it, it is totally a non-fit for the rest of the game. Which kind of brings me to my main point, which is... I love the fact that this game tries to solve all of PUBG's waiting around problems by by having this battle pack. Because basically what the battle pack does is encourage... Uh, I don't know if that's even the proper term for it. But it's basically a checklist of crap to do. And by encouraging you to do crap, it gives you plenty to do... Um, while you have that downtime and not just that but also like the game hides golden chests for you to find inside of attics and stuff that the only way you can find is by listening for their hum and then uh taking your pickaxe and, and hacking your way to it or building a uh, building a path up to an otherwise unreachable area and getting your fancy golden chest full of who knows what goodies and so there's lots of scavenging and finding and and, and doing things while waiting for the next segment of the game to kick in and i i really really enjoy that part of it and the battle pack helps by doing things like like, and I could see how this would never work in PUBG. Um, things like drive or go to the center of five different or four different heavily populated areas in one match. Um, not heavily populated, named. Go to the center of four named areas in one match. And the named areas are all the, uh, basically the cities that are, that are tightly together. Um, just like in PUBG. And it's really dangerous in PUBG to ever go near a city. We, we regularly go a long way around, like the school and other places. 
Um, here, it's a little I bit mean, l- less awful. I, um, and all you have to do is touch the center. I mean, like, I feel like I I play Pubka in a way that's, I guess, very different from you do, because I, uh, I like, Jacob and I, when we play, we tend to actively seek out fights. And that does tend to end up with us getting killed a lot, but... Um, you know, you like, it's, it's still, the... you can make it work. You have to ask yourself, which is losing, engaging in a gunfight and not being victorious, or playing a video game, sorry, not playing a video game. <laughs> okay, I was like, wait a minute, what, what was their joke? Uh, let, let no, me try I, uh, I, I... <laughs> Which is, which is... <laughs> Like you have to ask yourself, which is success? <laughs> Getting into a gunfight, losing it, or not playing a video game? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of how I play, though. Like there, I I almost always make it into the top thirty, top twenty, and then I'm making it into the top twenty with a blue shotgun, and then I die. Um, everyone else has been yeah. fighting, and so they have gold gear, and it's all fancy. Yeah. Um, but that brings me to the combat itself, which is what I don't like about Fortnite, and that's that in the building. But the building is a separate that. That ties back into the whole, this used to be another game conversation. Um, the combat is, for a game that is super arcadey and fun and light and colorful, is pretty gosh darn fatal. It's not as fatal as, uh, as, as PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, but it's, it's pretty fatal. Um, yeah. it does not take much to knock you down. And you're playing with a lot of 14 year olds who do nothing but this all day. And, and so like. That's the problem. That's the barrier. I mean, I I can't say I'm super interested in the whole battle royale thing in general, which is make it somewhat difficult to engage in uh, critical discussions over the past few years. But because uh, that, that's kind of been the emerging mechanical space to discuss. But definitely, when I look at gameplay videos, the problem is that you learn lessons that are so widely spaced apart in a battle royale game where it's like you know you wait 20 minutes to die uh except when you die in fortnite it's uh it, it seems and maybe it's just because i'm watching highlight videos but it seems like a lot of the time you die because someone was attacking you from an inconceivable angle with an inconceivable use of the building technology and even like sort of working your way back through all the steps that led to you getting killed requires a level of proficiency where if you had it, you wouldn't have gotten killed. Yeah. Yeah. I I I kind of find Fortnite's success a little baffling in that way, in that, like, I I understand that it was, like, the first big uh, free-to-play Battle Royale game, and and that's probably a big like part of the reason for its success and also like people wanted something that wasn't fucking broken all the time like PUBG um but like I don't feel like it's a very good battle royale game <laughs> like I I there are some aspects that are good um and I like that the game is generally faster paced in terms of like you know uh, PUBG you sit in a queue for a while and then you're yeah, hanging out in uh, one of the locations on the map while everybody loads in for like a minute and then you're on a plane for another minute and then you're parachuting for like 45 seconds and then you finally are on the ground and in and playing the game and Fortnite like compresses all of that into one minute. Um, you know, yeah. you're you're in the lobby waiting for people to, to load in for like 10 seconds. Then you're on a, a flying bus and you 
you know, flying buses like flies really fast and you're jumping out of it and then you land pretty quick. Um, but it's, you know, I, I don't, I, the, the shooting is not great. Um, and I, I like the games like that was never kind of really the point of like that was not a big deal when the game was about building castles and fighting off waves of zombies, but is more of a problem when it's a competitive multiplayer shooter. Um, and the time to kill is like weirdly low, I feel like, like, like you said, headshots in particular, like that, that's the thing that really gets me is like headshots do a tremendous amount of damage versus body shots where it, it makes it feel almost like chaotic and random where if you were able and, yeah. and it's too fast of combat to meaningfully aim for the head, at least by any human adult standards, 14 year olds probably think it's nothing, but like that 200, 300 milliseconds it takes to aim for the head for a kid is, is impossible for an adult. And uh, it basically ends up being really, really random because the same shot Body shot, you might lose your shield and get down to maybe half health. Headshot, you're dead instantly. And so it's yeah. the difference between surviving and being able to take another shot and not. And it's just, it's it, it just feels really chaotic and out of place. But aside from that, aside from when I'm actually engaging in combat, I enjoy the game. So I've actually been playing another Battle Royale game as well uh, that's neither PUBG nor Fortnite. Is it the Hunger Games um, Minecraft mod? No, uh, it's called Rem Royale. And it was oh, released by Hi-Rez Studios, um, which is the uh, the same company that did um, Paladins, the Overwatch knockoff with the serial numbers filed off. Um, and it's, I feel like it, like having played it and Fortnite, um, I feel like it took, in the same way that Fortnite took a lot of the stuff that PUBG did and gave it its own spin on it and, you know, kept the stuff that worked and dumped the stuff that didn't. Um, I feel like this game takes a lot of the stuff that Fortnite does and dumped all the, uh, you know, superfluous stuff and stuff that doesn't work that well with Fortnite. Like, there's no building, there's no, uh, you know, time to kill is, is much slower. It takes, like, um, a number of shots to to kill someone and 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 they have time to like react to that. It's still fast as far as That's shooters go, it. but it's not super fast. It's more like Overwatch speed. Um and they put their own spin on it too. So it is a uh class-based fantasy battle royale game. Um and I say fantasy, it's like World of Warcraft kind of fantasy. It's like like, you know, silly, playful kind of fantasy, but you know, still fantasy. Um and you have you can pick from different classes and the classes have different um abilities uh including every class has a mobility ability so like the warrior can leap and the mage can fly and that kind of thing uh that they can use but like the abilities that your class gets you don't like start with them you have to find them so you still got the kind of scavenging uh battle royale aspect to it where you're trying to, you know, you land and you try to find stuff. But in addition to finding, like, weapons and stuff, you also find uh, class abilities and you pick up armor and that kind of thing. Um, so that's cool. And in addition to that, there's a mechanic that helps to um, encourage what you were talking like about, like, PUBG doesn't really do for you, Chris, which is to encourage you to, like, go to centralized locations and kind of, like, fight other people, which is that... Um, to get the best gear or, and, and, you know, the good gear most reliably, 
you need to go and collect shards by finding items and uh, scrapping them and then go into a town and find a forge to craft stuff. And then you like you set up crafting on the forge and it takes like, you know, 30 or 40 seconds and it pops out with like, uh, you know, the weapon that you want or well. You can craft a class weapon that's like better than all the other weapons in the game that's unique to your class. Um, you can craft like the best armor and that kind of thing. Uh, and that means that like a party that just kind of, or, you know, if you're alone or if you're in a group and you just kind of like hang out on the outskirts and hide and don't do anything, when you run into the groups of people who have been like, you know, going and fighting, uh, they're going to have way better gear than you will and they're going to kill you. <laughs> Um, Naturally. but I, I think it's pretty neat. Uh, and it's, it's pretty easy to get into. Um, the gunplay to me feels like it's, it's, it's a Fortnite esque, but the guns are, um, like they're I mostly mean, projectiles with, o- with like overwatch levels of lethality. Yeah. Sounds pretty good. Yeah. And they're, uh, yeah. And time to kill is, uh, is higher. Um, and there's like, there's no like like PUBG kind of like assault rifle thing where a gun that's good at every distance and is like obviously better and you don't really bother using anything else. Um, in fact, most of the weapons are not automatic at all. Like the only automatic weapon fires pretty slowly, so it's kind of got that like TF2 kind of thing of like being at distance from one another is not like you know uh, it's more difficult to kill someone at di- at a distance because you don't have everybody with an automatic weapon yeah uh so i i think that game's neat if you like fortnite um it's pretty cool if, to check out it if, if you're upset with PUBG, there are there are alternatives yes i mean i think that the genre can definitely bear some experimentation some new entries yeah i'm and it's it, it is the new moba it is the new mmo it is the game that everybody is jumping into to try to make their own version of to hopefully make a bunch of money so like... I, I, sort of ironically the reason why i think it's a good thing that they're making so many of them is the same reason why people are sick of them which is that i don't know if anyone's got them exactly right yet yeah to, to some extent i feel like this is a genre which is like in a really early infancy and the the goal here is to discover whether the fundamental flaws that have ruined the idea for a lot of players thus far are an intrinsic part of this design, or whether they're just like something that needs to be overcome through iteration and through creating someone that PUBG players will hate in 10 years, but will they have more lasting mainstream success? I had a thought. What oh, if cool. Bethesda pulls an epic and... Fallout 76 comes out and the first big patch turns it into a battle royale game. <laughs> that is what everyone said it, was going to happen because everyone I mean, didn't know what they were going to do. I mean, it has a lot, like a lot of the aspects they talked about with Fallout 76 sound like they could easily adapt it into a battle royale game. I mean, you're not wrong. I don't think they will. I, I think I think there's too much emphasis being placed on building settlements and a, a, a degree of pseudo permanence. I think it's going to spend all. They're chasing Ark. They're not chasing PUBG. Which is a weird I, I tend thing to, to chase. Yeah. It is a weird thing to chase. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess it's time for me to talk about my game. So I am just about the last person to get into Yakuza 0 for the PS4. I know it's coming out for PC, but uh, I, I picked it up pretty recently. 
And I have to say that while I'm really enjoying the combat and I'm somewhat enjoying the mechanics and there's a conversation there, one thing about it really caught me off guard, and I, I think one I want to talk about with you guys a little bit more. It I feel like this is one of the few video games I've played in years that has been consistently earnest. You guys know what I mean? That's kind of the impression that I've gotten that like th that's the reason the game is popular to begin with is just that it it's not afraid to throw itself out there it genuinely seems courageous how frequently the game side quests and side characters have either the the whole of their arc or just the culmination of their arc be something wholesome and positive i i, I have never I don't think I've ever like seen like a an open world game at, at the very least that had such a relentless drive towards positivity and hope. Like uh, here's a random example, like a little side quest I just did. So um, there's a two step like side story. There's tons of side stories you can see in the the, the open world. And the, this represents, I think, the densest nuggets of earnestness. But the main character I've played so far, I haven't even gotten to the other main character like just is consistently like driven and like has strong ideas about like fairness and like justice. And like, he's, he's almost kind of got like a childlike earnestness to him. Uh, I say childlike only because it, it it's tempered by like a lack of expectation sometimes by a naivete. But anyway, uh, you find this kid who's waiting to buy the new video game cartridge release and it's like the it's it's like an equivalent to like a final fantasy release it, the game's set in the 80s and there's just no copies available anywhere and but he's in line he's got his allowance and you come back later and you find out you see somebody steal his copy and run off with it and it's like this high school punk so you go beat the shit out of that guy and find out that he just got it stolen by another thug. So you go beat the shit out of that thug. And I'm like, okay, this this is like a very standard video game quest where you're going around, like, kicking the shit out of people just to get, like, a random MacGuffin. And then, like, that, you see, that is stolen by, like, a Yakuza member, and he's got a gun. And so he's shooting me, and I'm, like, you know, trying to fight him, and, you know, I'm just like, oh, this, I can't wait till I get, beat this shitbird. And you beat him down... And instead of just giving you the item, he's like, no, I need this. It's for my son. He really wants this game. He wants to play it so badly. And you're like, oh, okay, but look, this you stole this game from a kid. He's like, I did. And you, like, walk him through it. And he's suddenly just, like, ashamed. Like, oh, no, I, I would never try to take that joy away from someone else. What have I done? I just wanted to have a good time with my son. And then you find out that his son is the guy who wanted to buy the game, but that his son was going to buy it with his allowance because of his dad was getting... His dad, the Yakuza guy, was getting in trouble with the divorced mom for spending too much money on, like, video games and board games and, like, amusement park trips with this kid. So, like, the kid had gone off to buy it with his own money, but then the dad had gone off to steal it because he couldn't find a copy on his own. And you just tell the kid, like, hey, yeah, you're, you know what? Your dad helped me find the game for you, kid. And the dad's just, like, so, just, like, he, he like, he has a moment where he's, like, I, I, I didn't realize that, like, I was letting my son down just by being, like, a bad person and, and, and stealing from people. What have I become? And he gives you, like, this nice katana, and that's the end of the side quest. And I was completely bowled over. Like, all this happens, like, the last minute of the quest, but for some reason it really works. 
Oh man, I wish Bethesda side quests were like that. I wish any side quests were like this. Can you imagine this in like a... Like, let's see, like what would the Assassin's Creed version of that be? Nothing. You'd kill the last, the last guy would be like, ah, I'm gonna, uh, it's mine now, and you'd stab him to death, and then you'd bring the item back, and the guy would be like, thank you so much, here's some money. I feel like That's the only like, other game I can think of that, that does anything close to that is like The Witcher 3, at least in, in you know, the uh, genre anyway. Um, like a lot of Witcher 3 quests had that kind of, um, you know, their own self-contained stories that were really interesting had a depth and had a depth to them that uh that most other side quests don't you know like the the yeah. most of the examples of the good storytelling in the witcher 3 are like side quests that are not main plot things some of them you have to complete but you know they don't really have anything to do with like oh the wild hunt and you know i think kiryu that like the guy i've been playing so far and uh as far as i can tell Geralt in the witcher 3 have one thing in common which is very endearing to me in a protagonist. I feel like when video game protagonists are sold to dudes, especially, like when like you create a video game protagonist to sell to dudes, at some point they have like kind of a level of macho detachment. And when I say that, I mean something very specific. Like, yeah, you're at the party and some guy is like going out there dancing, and you might say, yeah, well, have a good, have a good time. But, like, you maintain that level of detachment where, like, you're like, hey, you know, whatever makes him happy. But at the same time, you're, you're making that kind of comment to detach yourself from the idea of, like, like, you don't even understand why he would be out there putting himself out there enjoying something unironically without worrying about what people think about him. It, it, because, and you're not, like, withdrawing from it because you think it's stupid or childish, but it's just, it's not your scene, naturally. Naturally, you're just, like, not that kind of person, you know, you're just, you, you, you accidentally only like things that are cool and suave and mysterious. Right. And just about the most, like, wholesome you can be is if you can allow other people to be not that person without denigrating and putting them down. Whereas Kiryu, it's like, if you send him to do karaoke, he throws himself into it 200%. If you go out on the dance floor, he's like pulling Saturday Night Fever moves. It's like, and the camera's loving it. It's just like swooping and like pulling in. It's like, he doesn't do this sort of thing often. It, it's sort of established in an early scene, like where your, your bro is dragging you to do karaoke, even though you're like this really serious guy. But when you do karaoke, you go in feet first. And, like, I just, I really respect that about a character yeah. in a video game, especially. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really rare for video game characters, for video game protagonists to do, at least in AAA male characters. Uh. It, it, I feel like Kiryu cares, and he really puts himself out there. He doesn't always know what's best, but he always tries his best. And that's kind of, it's mind-blowing how novel this feels. Yeah. Well, I'd say that's just about a spot cast. Uh, I think we're good for another eight months. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, we got to figure out what we want to do with this thing um, format-wise, because it feels like there are a lot of weeks where we're just like, I'm not really into doing a spot cast. Uh, well, clearly one of us needs to have a life-changing experience on a weekly basis so that we can uh, maintain our level <laughs> of interest in the format. In the meantime, see you guys next week. 
You can't make that promise. We just said we're not. Spodcast <laughs> Go! Hi, I'm Root Scar, and with me is Josh and Chris. Now, Chris! brought up two topics for today's diecast and can, i'm gonna start I, with wait, the one that we, i'm we, we like that. I, can i just i i love that you remembered the name of the podcast and then forgot about it like six seconds later <laughs> i don't get it <laughs> this is literally Did one sentence podcast next sentence diecast <laughs> all right we're, we're starting over <laughs> no, i'm off my going if you want throw that in the end it's fine